Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. winter at Bethesda, we have introduced our discipleship path. And so if you've been with us, you've probably seen uh, this square here. And uh, we have been talking about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to grow deeper, to give generously, and to serve others. And so we have talked about those in length. And uh, we believe that when we help people get to all of these areas of life, they are able to live missionally or become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so we believe that these are great values that the gospel has taught us and that if we do all four of them, then we are on track at, uh, you know, being committed Christ followers. Um, but our leadership believed that at this juncture in our church journey, that it was really important for us to talk about the discipline of prayer. And if we were going to place prayer in any one of these categories, we believe it fits within the grow category. It is a part of what it means to be a Christian. And as we navigate and journey and dig deeper into being a Christian and navigating our faith journey. And so, um, for some of us, prayer has been a lifelong practice. Like there are individuals here and your parents prayed with you before you went to bed and you learned how to pray in Sunday school. And so prayer has been a part of your life up to this point. And for others of us, um, you know, prayer is something maybe that we just urgently call out in moments of distress or panic. Um, it's just something that we turn to when absolutely necessary. And uh, we believe, and I have proof, reason to believe this, that prayer is an internal, natural human need to look beyond ourselves in moments of distress and hope, and hope that there's something or someone listening that can impact our hopeless situation in a way that exerts more power or control than we possess ourselves as individuals. And we have all been there, right? We've all been in those moments of like utter distress or panic and we're like, who's out there, somebody help me in this moment. And we call upon someone or something. Uh, for us, we call upon Jesus to be come and help us, maybe to exert his authority in a situation and to help us. And some of these situations can be a little bit silly. Some of them can be a little bit, you know, surface level situations. Let me just bring you into my life and be transparent for a moment, which I like to be with you. Um, I, uh, I have a really fuel efficient vehicle. My car I drive is a Honda Civic. That's not a product placement, but I like that it doesn't require much gas. Um, and it's fairly fuel efficient. I can get around, you know, for quite a while with very little gas, but I tend to push my car farther than is necessary. I don't, I don't know about you. you, you're probably the person who's like, it's Tuesday, let's put the gas in the tank. I don't know. But for me, I tend to, you know, push it a little further than is necessary. And so as I go about my daily life and, you know, I'm a mom, so I'm driving my kids around and I'm coming to work and I'm picking things up for our youth program. And all of a sudden I hear that ding. And it sounds pretty friendly. And I imagine it saying, by the way, Crystal, we need gas soon. And I think, yes, soon. It's not urgent just yet. It's just a nice ding. By the way, gas is, you know, a thing that we need to add to our calendar. I'm like, okay, car, we'll get gas soon. And yet I take Benjamin to school and I'm like, that's fine. You know, I've got enough gas to get to school. And actually I've got enough gas. I got a meeting at the office. I should just go on. I'll get gas after school. And then one of you beautiful individuals walks into the office just as it's time to go pick up my son from school. And I get distracted because you're amazing and I want to talk to you. And then all of a sudden there's no time to get gas on the way to school. So I'm like, nah, I still got time. I'll drive to school. 
and pick up Benjamin. And then, of course, he sits down and he needs to use the washroom. Like, why in the world did you wait to sit in the car? There's bathrooms at school. I know this is too much information. You don't need to know my child's bathroom habits. But this is my reality. And so I'm in the car and I'm like, you know what? He's shaking back there and he's like, mom, I gotta go. I'm like, okay, we can make it home. We can make it home. And I go home and I totally forget that I ever needed gas until I'm late bringing him to school the next morning and I realize the gas light is still on and it's after having dung the second time at me, ding. And it's not quite so kind the second time around, it's getting urgent and I'm really pushing the limits of my gas tank. And so I'm driving down Kenmet Road and you've been there, like, tell, like in another situation maybe because you're much more responsible than myself, you've been there and you're like, Jesus, you can put gas in this car. <laughs> I know you can. And Jesus could probably do a teaching moment with me and just let me run out of gas, pull over to the side of the road and be in a hopeless situation and just be like, Crystal, uh, this is enough. You need to learn how to put gas in the car on a regular basis. But yet I've never broken down. I've always made it to the gas station. I'm not gonna say that's Jesus. It's probably just the fact that my car is lying when it says there's zero kilometers left of gas. It must not be true. Don't try it yourselves but I've managed to get to the gas stations when it's been really urgent and dire, but I probably should be um, the kind of person who, you know, fills it up when it actually dinged the first time around instead of pushing the limits. My husband says it's bad for the car. I know, I know, I'm just that person. I'm sorry, uh, Ryan. Um, and so, you know, and maybe, maybe you're not praying to Jesus over the gas car. Maybe you're here to, over the gas in your car. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, you're, you get in those moments and where you're panicked and you're just like, I need someone, something to intervene in this situation. And so you're like, God of the gas tank. I don't know who you're praying to, but for me, I pray to Jesus and I'm like, Jesus, you're going to have to help me in my hopeless situations. Or maybe you're here today and you can identify with a friend of mine um, and God bless him. He went to an individual's home. Uh, he was invited. Um, he didn't know them very well, but he was invited for a meal. And who's going to pass up a meal, really? Uh, you know, it was a good, it was, they were a good cook. Um, and uh, while he was visiting, he needed to use the facilities. Yeah, and so he did. He, he, he took use of the facilities and maybe, you know, a little too much, you know, of that paper uh, went down there and the facilities, instead of the water going down as it's supposed to, the water decides to come up. And during this time, he's like, Lord, you are the master of the wind and the waves. You can... In this situation, because it's embarrassing, doesn't even know the individuals all that well. I'm not going to name him. Um, it's not me, um, but you can ask around later and try to figure out who it is. <laughs> and so, Lord, you know, you can, the, the, you, can, you can help me in this situation. And maybe you've been in otherwise just as comedical, uh, comical situations. And I want to let you know, um, I'm not going to tease you. The water did not go down. It came up and out and out, and he walked out of that room with his pants rolled up and his socks in his hand, asked the kind people who agreed to feed him for a plunger and a mop, and so that's that. Um, But maybe you've been in situations like that where you're just like, this is a hopeless situation. If someone or something doesn't intervene, this is gonna be something I'm gonna have to deal with beyond my capabilities or desire to deal with it. And so, you know, we walk into situations like that or we end up in situations like that and then we just call out 
We're like, Lord, someone, person, car, gas tank, help, help me in this situation. And so we can determine that in moments of distress, we will pray to God for help. And we can make light of these kinds of prayers, but we can also acknowledge today that we cry out to God for help in the most devastating moments of our lives as well. Moments where we are totally out of our element. Moments where we have received horrific news and we thought this happens to someone else, not us. And we are devastated and we call it to God in those. Or maybe we are simply feeling helpless and need some sort of hope, some sort of hope to turn to. And we do in those moments. And we all probably can identify someone, a friend or a family member, an individual, a colleague that has received horrible information, horrible news or been hit in a hopeless situation. And suddenly those individuals who maybe would not find themselves here on a Sunday or would not volunteer for VBS or would not be talking about God in regular life is turning to you, a person of faith and saying, I need you to pray about this. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? I need God to move in this situation because they even then, even though they may not have a faith of all their own, are seeking beyond themselves for a hope and believing that prayer to this God is going to help them. And we can understand that prayer is actually a human cultural universal a human cultural universal. There is archaeological evidence and is widespread archaeological evidence that dates back to very early years and a variety of backgrounds to persist, to agree that there is a human cultural universal aspect to prayer. And so this isn't just distinct to Christian faith. This isn't just distinct to Bethesda Church. Prayer is something that humanity has as a part of it all throughout. And it, this, this phrase itself, I like to switch it around because human cultural universal sounds a little bit ambiguous. And so it's easier to say that prayer is universal to all of human culture. And there's archaeological evidence for that. And so we believe that there's biblical evidence for that. We believe that there's faith evidence for that. We believe that there's, you know, community evidence for that. But there is actual archaeological evidence that prayer is a universal fact of human culture. And so we can find that as a thing that we can be confident in. And so that when we approach those moments of utter hopelessness and helplessness, we realize that our need to call out in prayer, to find the hope, to ask someone to intervene in our situation, situation is natural. It's a part of who we are. It is a part of our drive, nearly as natural to us as any other human function or cognitive ability. So, with this established, how do we approach this human need with a simplified understanding so that we could grow or deepen in our faith journey? How can we approach this with a simplified understanding um, today? And we will examine prayer thoroughly over the duration of this series. We'll be talking about prayer for the next month or so. And so we will go into deeper aspects of prayer. We will be digging into what it, what it means for us individually as, as a community. But we first want to get back to relationship in prayer, the relationship of prayer. And by doing this, we are going to obviously uh, discover what Jesus' example was when we were told how to pray. 
And since Jesus is our example in how we live our best lives, we can find evidence in his life to direct us in how we approach prayer. Jesus' ministry was observed by a group of individuals who followed him and who learned from him directly. And some of those individuals we refer to as the disciples of whom there were 12, and there were other followers as well who were a part of his life and who followed and learned from him. And uh, some of these individuals and some of these disciples uh, documented their understanding, their experience with Jesus, and protected it so that they could share their faith based on their experience with us and other individuals, other friends of theirs. And so we learn from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John what we can with confidence from Jesus because they documented it. They wanted us to have this faith, so they thought it was so important to share what Jesus had done. We thank them for it. And so today I want us to take a little time to discover, maybe for the first time for some of us, and for some of us to be reminded of uh, the truth about prayer based on Jesus' example. And so these men, the nearest followers of God, saw him regularly taking time, specific time, to pray. And there was such a pattern of prayer that stood out to the disciples that they asked him to teach them how to pray. They were raised in Judaism, which is a religion that had a prayer um, aspect to it. But yet, the behavior that they witnessed from Jesus was so different from what they had practiced, what they had understood currently at this time in their Jewish faith, that they needed him to teach them his way. And so they asked him this, and we find this in Luke 11, and this passage. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now this passage may be new to you, or maybe you're one of the individuals who had been taught this since you were a child, and and you've memorized it, and maybe you learned how to structure your own prayers based on the structure of this one. And Jesus taught such outrageous uh, things, and he taught such things that were countercultural at the time and were confusing to society because they just did not make sense. And he even taught um, things that are now normal to us in culture because he taught them. You may not be aware of that, that there are certain things that we take for granted in our culture that were taught by Jesus, that at the time he taught them were absolutely out of the blue, that were countercultural, that were upside down, did not make sense to them. And so over 2,000 years ago, Jesus taught about equality in a time when equality wasn't popular to teach about. Jesus taught about helping the helpless when helping the helpless was something that people just didn't really care to do. You survived. You and your family, you survived, and you went forward. You didn't help others. And so it was natural. It was a natural part of Jesus' ministry to teach this way. And it was surprising to them at the time to hear him teach about these things. And this teaching of prayer was equally surprising to them. Because at that time, what they understood of prayer and what was understood of prayer to all faith groups, even outside of Judaism, was not this kind of standard, was not this kind of um, application to God. And so let's just take a moment to talk about and understand what kind of system, what understanding of prayer did exist at the time and may still exist for some of us today. 
Prayer before Jesus was a religious practice that was often fear-based to placate or appease a deity. To placate or appease a deity with an exchange of prayer or sacrifice for something else. Most notably, in Roman traditions, this happened. And as we know, Jesus taught in a time where the Roman traditions were widespread. This perpetuated the impression that prayer was used for bargaining and to repel wrath. And so the idea then of the deity was that he was angry and that something had to be done by humanity to keep that deity angry and on your good side. And so this is what was happening. This is what was understood of prayer at the time when Jesus was teaching this one. Also, some traditions, and which would have impacted the audience uh, seeing Jesus' prayerful example at the time, would have experienced where only certain individuals were expected or permitted to pray or approach God on others' behalf. And this was mostly true of the Jewish people at the time uh, when Jesus was speaking to them. And so they had rabbis and teachers and individuals who would go and pray. And so they were not welcome necessarily into that kind of relationship. And this led to the, the perpetuation that, or impression that prayer was not for everyone. It wasn't for everyone. Not everyone is invited into this dialogue. Also, the religious leaders of the day prayed to fulfill certain daily obligations. They had a standard order of prayer. They prayed in a certain way, at a certain time, in a certain place, to prove themselves worthy of God's blessing. And this had progressed at such a rate in, in Jesus' time that the Jewish people believed that if you went to the synagogue and stood in a certain place, you were praying without any verbal dialogue or communication to God. And so if you stood up as a Jew in the synagogue, you were praying. And it, then this perpetuated the impression that prayer was a ritual to be observed. And all of this is a deviation from the understanding that we have of prayer from certain accounts in the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament did not ask them to do prayer this way. But tradition and standardizing of their religion and faith got them to this point where now they believed, they thought, they understood that prayer was to appease, to, to barter with, bargain with, that prayer was for certain individuals and prayer had to be done a certain way in order to be worthy or considered a good Jew. And so they had found themselves in their understanding of their faith, which was a deviation from God's original plan. They were in a place of tradition and ritual only. And so in introducing this prayer, Jesus brings us to a place where prayer is now personal. And here, Jesus teaches his disciples to, weigh, to pray in a way that is a matter of the heart, a personal prayer, so personal that God is referred to as Father. So personal that God is referred to as Father. Because of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. We are no longer slaves to our sin. We are sons and daughters of the Most High, the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe loves us, sees us, calls us son, calls us daughter. And we may approach him as a child would approach a parent with vulnerability in a highly personal interaction. 
Jesus even elaborates on this kind of relationship further in this passage in Luke to ensure that those who are listening don't miss the point of relationship. Jesus compares God to a parent who hears and meets the requests of their child. Jesus wants to ensure that we are aware that our prayers, in our prayers, we don't need to bargain with God for him to be moved to compassion for our needs. He already loves us as a parent and desires to meet our needs. And by this example, by this example, this simple example, Jesus overcame the current cultural expectations that prayer was for bargaining with an angry deity. It was for a certain kind of people and that it was a basic ritual to observe. God is not angry with us. He sees us as his children. Prayer isn't for specific people only. It's for everyone. Prayer isn't a basic ritual. It is a vulnerable investment in relationship with the creator of the universe. Relationship with the creator of the universe. How humbling is this? And so, like the disciples who learned in this moment and cared so much to share it with us by their writing in these letters, um, what else can we understand about our relationship with God in prayer through this teaching? And let us read it again. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Teach us this day your daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. In the prayer, Jesus teaches his disciples that we should pray with intimacy in a deeply personal way to our heavenly Father. And also, by praying, we acknowledge God's sovereignty. Hallowed be your name. You are sovereign. We acknowledge our willingness to grow through these phrases. Your kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. In this, we are showing our willingness to be a part of God's narrative, our willingness to grow as individuals, our willingness to be a part of his answer. And through this entire communication, we are placing our trust in him because we don't pray to God without placing our trust or our expectation in him. And so let's look at this a little further. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and we cannot pray to God without acknowledging his sovereignty, or else we would not be dressing um, him as powerful enough to help us. And so our, our desire, our natural desire to pray, to call on his name, is in itself an acknowledgement of his sovereignty over our lives, over our situation, our circumstance, even though it feels hopeless. <clears throat> Even if it is a moment of personal weakness, even if it is in this kind of a moment that we cry out to God, our cries are an acknowledgement that we believe he is able to help us. He is sovereign. God is sovereign. Secondly, we are acknowledging that we are willing to grow. Praying means that we are willing to grow somehow. Communication with God often means that we are willing to see things differently. We are willing to draw near to him with the burden that we have on our hearts and that we are bringing to him. And the answering of this prayer would alter our lives or the lives of our loved ones in some significant way. Have you ever prayed a prayer 
earnestly that you didn't care about. We don't pray things we don't care about. And our caring about them is acknowledging our earnest, willing, natural desire to grow, to change, to see a situation altered, to be altered ourselves. And we are acknowledging that we trust him. I am trusting him. Finally, and highly important, is by this prayer, in a prayer, and by bringing a request to God in any question or communication to him, we are denoting that we are trusting him, trusting him for the outcome, trusting his will and his love for us so that he will be moved into action. And let's be honest also, if you don't trust that he was able to move in your circumstances, would you be praying? Prayer itself is an action of trust and expectation. Let us not base these factors on just one account of Jesus praying. Let's consider another. In Mark 14, we see a situation where Jesus is toward the end of his life. He is facing the the most devastating moment of his ministry. And our band can come back, please. This is possibly the most profound account of Jesus praying that we have. In this prayer, Jesus um, happens as he has just left the Passover meal with his disciples, where he predicts to them for the last time his death and his resurrection. And they still don't understand. And he takes them with him to the Garden of Gethsemane just moments before his betrayal. Just moments before. Those who would come and have him killed arrive and arrest him. And while there fully aware of what is about to happen to him, he prays this prayer. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here is Jesus in anguish, hoping that there might be another way to resolve the guilt of humanity. And he acknowledges through this prayer the characteristics of relationship that we have with the Father through prayer. And we have already identified them. Relationship, Abba, Father. We have a relationship. We acknowledge the sovereignty of God. And we see that here as Jesus prays, everything is possible for you. You, my Father, everything is possible. You are sovereign. You are all-powerful. And then he acknowledges his willingness and his trust. He says to God, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, in the most wretched moment of his life on earth, just moments from taking the burdens of humanity, acknowledges in, the, in this powerful prayer that God sees him, that he is a father, that God is sovereign, all-powerful, capable, able, and that even though Jesus is distraught at what he is approaching, he is willing and ultimately trusting God and that God's will would be done. And as we walk into this whole prayer series, Let's approach God with the confidence of knowing that our foundation of relationship has already been established with him through his love for us as our creator and through Jesus' actions and with the realization that God earnestly desires relationship with us so earnestly that he has been seeking it.
God desires relationship with us so earnestly that he created us at the very, very beginning of time. And that even though we were separated by our guilt and our shame, that even throughout this, he has been seeking us. He set a system in place for the Jewish people, his people to say, okay, I want relationship with you. So this is how we're going to do it. Here is our system. Here is the pathway to me. And they couldn't live up to it. They couldn't manage it. They tried, but they were too fallible. They were too guilt-ridden. They were too sinful. And yet, even though he gave them a pathway, even though he gave them a solution, he loved them so much that he said, okay, this one's too hard. I want to be in relationship with you. So here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you my son. I love you so much, my creation that I'm going to send you my son so that you could be free from this guilt, that you could be free from this shame, so that I can have this prayerful relationship with you, so that you can look to me and call me father, and I can look to you and call you son, I can call you daughter, because I'm going to make amends for your guilt through my son Jesus. This is the depth of my love for you. This is where I want to go. I want relationship with you, and I'm going to make it work. I am going to make it work for you. And so, today, I want us to be reminded that prayer is an opportunity for us to bring our needs, our worries, and our fears to God. But that because He created us, He is eager to meet our needs like a good parent so that we may pray freely to him in all of his sovereignty, willing to be drawn nearer to him and trusting him for the outcome. But let us ask ourselves a few questions as we prepare for the rest of this prayer series. Are we still restricting our prayer lives based on the old cultural understanding of prayer? Are we praying with the pressure of coercing God to turn his face upon us and be moved into empathy for us? Are we praying with the pressure of trying to convince God to see us when we have this testimony, this circumstance, this evidence that God sees us so intimately, individually, each and every single one of us as a son, as a daughter, so much so that he sent a portion of himself to be human among us, to die for us. Let us not carry that burden because it's not ours to carry. We do not need to coerce God to see us. We do not need to coerce him to turn his face toward us and to be moved compassionately toward us because he's already done that. He's already seen us. He's already solved the biggest problem that we could ever have. He has already saved us from our guilt and our shame and united us to him in relationship. Are we still praying with bargaining tools to convince God that we would live better lives for him if he did this one thing for us? Are we still approaching him with bargaining tools? And this was an old tradition of the Romans that if I give this, then the Lord or the deity is going to give me that. 
He's given it to us freely, church. He's given to us freely. We don't need to bargain. We don't need to make promises. We can come to Him with earnest hearts and say, God, I wanna live as you want me to live. And here are my burdens. Here are my needs. Here are the areas of life that I feel like are just hopeless and I can't, I can't control these areas myself. Can you help me? And are we praying regimented prayers? Because we have been raised to say grace. We have been raised to say bedtime prayers with our children and to bow our heads in reverence at a place of corporate prayer. Have we been standing in the synagogue praying in a regimented way without having relationship, without including relationship because we believe that that's all we needed? Are we not praying at all because we're worried that our communication isn't good enough? doesn't have the right flourish, or maybe we don't know exactly what to say, where to stand, or if God would want to hear from us. He did this for you. He did this great act of love for you, a son and daughter, so that you could be welcomed into this kind of a relationship, this prayerful relationship. And you don't have to say the words that you think that are beautiful and flourishing. You can come to him as you are and pray to him as you are with your brokenheartedness, with your earnestness, with your insecurities, or with your arrogance. You can pray to him who sees you, who loves you as a parent. And so, as Jesus instructed, according to his example, We are loved by God. We are his children. And we can praise and worship his ability to do the impossible and request the impossible from him and be willing to grow in our understanding and then ultimately to trust him with his will. And I think of this verse, and we can't talk about prayer, I don't think, without throwing this verse and part of it is here in Philippians, and you might already know it, but it's just so humbling and beautiful and I I want to leave us with this as we consider aligning in relationship in prayer with Christ again, maybe for the first time. Here in Philippians 4, we read, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your greatness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He is near. He is near. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and trust Him. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.